Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Technion Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all. What if? What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges? What if they could develop life-changing environmental, scientific, health, medical, and technological discoveries that will make a huge impact on Israel and the planet? But they don't just ask the question, they answer it too. They turn those ideas into reality they make them happen. To see just some of the incredible things they've achieved, get the Technion Booklet of Wonders at ats.org wonders. We hope it inspires you to give them your support so they can keep doing what they do best. The American Technion Society. World-changing discoveries by Israel's brightest minds made possible by you. Hey listeners, it's Mishi. Last week we released our 50th Wartime Diary. This week is Yom HaZikaron and Yom HaTzmaut. And as a way of marking this milestone, and these dates, Yochai Meital and I will have a series of onstage conversations in New York and Cleveland. We'll discuss the process of creating Wartime Diaries, talk about some of the challenges we've encountered, the dilemmas we've had, the insights we've gained, So if you want to hear what covering the evolving story of this war has been like for us, we'd love to see you at one of our events. All the details are on our site, israelstory.org. And meanwhile, wishing us all calm and peaceful days ahead. This bonus is an example of the kind of extra content we release on our Israel Story subscription feed. So if you like it, if you want to hear more stories, ad-free listening, and behind-the-scenes extras, sign up through Apple Podcasts. Lastly, before we begin, a quick warning. This piece references sexual abuse and attempted suicide. Okay, go. Hey, Israel Story listeners, it's Mishi. I am here in the studio with our producer, Yoshi Fields. Hey, Yoshi. Hey, Mishi. How you doing? Good. And as an extra bonus, we are going to give you a little behind-the-scenes peek into the production of the episode that we just released about pigs in Israel. And Yosh, you worked on uh, the story that we ended up calling a Zionist pig for how long? I started before COVID, so more than a year. (laughs) Okay, you're a real pig expert. Yeah. It was actually slated to be an episode in our last season. Correct. And one of the reasons that that didn't happen was what we are here to talk about. 
Yeah. So for the pig story, we interviewed a lot of different people, activists, farmers, intellectuals, reporters. Basically, one of the main interviewees for the story, we ended up having to cut. That interviewee was Yehuda Meshizav. Who is Yehuda Meshizav? Well, to begin with, he's an ultra-Orthodox Jew. In fact, he's, I would say, the most well-known ultra-Orthodox Jew in Israel. He's sort of a national figure. Right. At the time, he was very famous because he was the head of Zaka, which is an emergency relief international organization. He was also in the news a lot around that time, early COVID days, as sort of this bridge between ultra-religious and secular. And specifically, he had lost his parents to COVID. And it was at a time when there was a lot of religious leaders talking about how they shouldn't follow COVID safety protocol. And he was saying, no, we really have to focus on this. This is very important. So he was very popular. In fact, he had been nominated and was going to be awarded the Israel Prize, which is the biggest prize you can get in this country. And we wanted him to talk about pigs. Right. He was actually a huge activist against pork in Israel. In the 80s in particular, he was at a lot of protests and he'd had this confrontation with a butcher in Jerusalem. He was a really interesting person to talk to because he could really speak to the fight within Israel over pork and his personal experience with it. And what was the interview like? You know, he's a very captivating person, was my experience. I remember as I left talking to a fellow producer who was with me at the time, and I said, like, wow, like, there's something about his eyes that was just like, just really drew me in. I like had felt like I was in the presence of someone who was powerful and, and had like this sort of crazy charisma. Going in, did you think that he was going to become a central figure in your uh, story? Yeah, absolutely. He was going to talk to what had happened in the 80s, which was a really important part in the history of pork in Israel. So that was going to help us bring that section alive in our story. And also just talk to, you know, religious views on pork in Israel. Right. And what did he tell you? What did you hear from him? He told us about that experience in the butcher shop, for example, in Jerusalem, where he had gone to tell this butcher, like, you shouldn't be selling pork here. But before he could even, like, start speaking, he had, you know, maybe gotten a few words out. And he says the butcher came up to him and literally shoved pork into his mouth. And, of course, he was shocked, but also it was like this deeply in his soul kind of feeling of um, that he had been in some way abused. He said he, like, threw up and it was this horrible, horrible moment for him. To me, it was interesting at the time to hear that because it really felt that this is something he really cares about deep, deep down. It wasn't just like some, you know, headline thing that he wanted to get involved in. It was really a personal issue for him. That sounds like a pretty crazy story. Yeah. Did that seem credible? It did. I worked on fact-checking it, but it became clear we're not going to use it at all. Okay, so you wrote an entire draft in which Yudha Meshizav is a central character. Right. And the story was basically ready to go. Right. It had already been a long time working on it. We were excited to, to air it. And then it was March 11th. I woke up Red Haaretz, as I often do. And there, I think it was the headline, like the first article that day was, you know, something about Yehuda Meshizav accused of raping boys and girls and men and women for decades. And then we find ourselves in this strange situation where we have a story 
in which one of the central characters is now suddenly accused in a uh, newspaper expose of um, sexual misconduct and molestation and rape and what were you thinking? You know, I think that there are a lot of examples in our work of like, who do we want to give a platform to? And this is something we talk about also within Israel Story. We've had many meetings of like, well, do we want to interview this person? Do we want to have them on our show? For me, this was not one of those times. It was pretty clear, I think, from the very beginning, this is not someone we want to give a platform to. Even though the accusations had nothing to do with what he was talking about in this specific story. Right. It felt very clear that even though this is a story about pigs, where he's a character talking about pigs, nothing to do with this Haaretz article, it felt pretty clear there's no way we could air it as is. And and we talked about it a couple of days later, and I think you were like, you know, like we're going to have to find a replacement. That is true. I just now, in this conversation, want to push back on that yeah. and say, like, well, I mean, we don't know what goes on in the lives of all of our interviewees. We interview hundreds or thousands of people. Some of them probably have very problematic records. Is it really our responsibility to be policing that in terms of who we allow to participate or to be heard on our episodes? It gets complicated and unclear. Like there's, you know, a spectrum here. We've certainly had people on our show that I really feel diametrically opposed to in terms of their political beliefs, and yet we're interviewing them about a love story, and we'll, we'll still do that story. And I think it's really important to the ethos of our show that we're about bringing really personal stories and the humanity of all of us. Again, here was a guy, he was being accused of doing this thing that was so horrible. Like, it's unequivocally, this is not okay in our society, this is horrible, and such a sensitive and triggering issue for so many people. I felt this then, and I still feel this now, that this was not in gray area. So do you think that there's no room for criminals to be heard on a show like ours? No, I definitely think there's room for criminals. If we were going to do a show about Yehuda Meshizav, and we were going to talk to him about his life and his experiences and dig into these accusations and make a story about these issues— not just giving him a platform to say his experience, but interviewing other people, if they're willing to, who are affected by it, giving lots of different perspectives, and I think making it very clear that the actions were not acceptable in any way, no matter the reasons, then that, that could be a really interesting story. A story where we don't touch on those issues, I think, is the biggest problem to me. Yeah, it's an interesting question because, I mean, one of the things that we talked about at the time when this news about Yudha Meshizav came out was, well, okay, well, maybe we leave him in the story, but add some sort of disclaimer. That's Yudha Meshizahav, who, as you might have heard, has recently been accused of, you know, X, Y, and Z. Many, many years ago, in one of our earliest episodes, we had a different, though in some ways analogous instance, where the chief rabbi of Tzfat, Rabbi Shmuel Eliyahu, was a relatively minor character in the story that we did about Chaya, the ultra-Orthodox woman from Tzfat who is a serial adopter of uh, babies with Down syndrome. Here's Rabbi Eliyahu. When they aren't biological siblings, then halakhically there's no problem. And for many people, Shmuel Eliyahu is a uh, figure of authority, and uh, uh, many people have tremendous respect for him. He's definitely a uh, very um, learned rabbi with tremendous following. 
His father was a chief rabbi. He's often talked about as a candidate for being a chief rabbi. But he also is known for making these very um, controversial proclamations about um, LGBTQ people, about Arabs. And I needed to include him because unlike the situation with the pigs where, you know, we chose Yuda Meshizahav because he was a good candidate to tell that part of the story, but we could have also chosen other people. In Chaya's story, Shmuel Eliyahu was a big part of that story. We couldn't sub him out for someone else. And I thought very carefully, should I say, you know, that's Shmuel Eliyahu, who you probably also know for his statement about not renting apartments to Arabs in Sfat or something like that. And ultimately, we decided not to include that detail just because it really had nothing to do with the story that we were telling. It's an interesting case. I mean, having nothing to do with it both makes it more complicated and less complicated. Right. When we tell a story, we have to choose the details we're going to put in. So, of course, we're not going to add all, all these details, but that detail, right, it's a question of, is it important? Even if it's not important to the narrative story, is that an important detail? I think also, you know, with the head rabbi you're talking about, like, I don't personally know his views, right? That would take me out of the story more. But with Yehuda Meshizah, for example, especially at the time, like, that was what a lot of people were talking about. And that was a headline in, in the news and also internationally. Right. It was the biggest news item for a while in right. Israel. So there, it was going to be the first thought of many who listened. I also just wouldn't want to have someone who is going to potentially trigger so many different people. I don't want to have that in our stories if we can avoid it. Despite the fact that it meant that we had to, you know, rethink the story and it led to many different interviews and changing the structure. All right, so we decided to remove Yudha Meshizaha from the story. Then what happens? I assume, you know, many listeners think, well, okay, so you just find a new character, you sort of plug him in where Yudha Meshizahav was. Is that how it goes? No. You know, Yudha Meshizahav had his own unique take. So there was no way we could just find another person who had the same experience. Like, everyone has their own experience. So we needed to find someone else with their own personal experience, shine their own light and their own take on what had happened. And, you know, he was a very big figure, especially around the 80s. Multiple people I talked to for this story who were involved in the issue around pork in the 80s, I had asked, who would you say was like at the forefront of the religious side of things? And Yehuda Meshizav came up a lot. So it wasn't just we could find another Yehuda Meshizav. So we interviewed, I think, like six or so people. Some of them became part of the story. Some of them just sort of informed us, but we don't end up hearing their voices. A bit of restructuring, a lot more interviews. Honestly, I think it's a, a better story for it. It's certainly a different story. And then shortly thereafter, there was a development in the Yudha Meshizav story. Right. In the weeks that followed that initial report from Haaretz, many other people came forward with similar allegations. Criminal investigations began. He was going to be criminally charged on several accounts. And there was going to be a big TV expose on what was happening. And just hours before that TV expose aired, he tried to commit suicide, and then he was rushed to the hospital, stabilized, but in a coma, and he's still in a coma today. Right. 
All right. Well, thanks, Josh. And uh, thanks for sharing this uh, really complicated and um, interesting story of the history of the pork industry in Israel. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm glad it's finally been aired. <laughs> All right. See ya. See ya. Bye-bye, listeners. This bonus was an example of the kind of extra content we release on our Israel Story subscription feed. So if you liked it, if you want to hear more stories, ad-free listening, and behind-the-scenes extras, sign up through Apple Podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.